0: Scripture comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 11 to 21. And you can find this on page 966 of your Pew Bibles. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves it is for God. If we are in our right mind it is for you. For the love of God, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this that no one has died for all. Therefore all have died. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord.
1: We are in part five of our series on evangelism. That's what we've been talking about. This is our fifth out of uh, 10 messages that we're going to talk about Evangelism called sharing bread from heaven, and today I, I want to get quickly into this passage. It's a jam-packed passage uh, with a lot of meaty content in it, and um, as as Paul typically does, he's pretty convoluted and <laughs> he's kind of all over the place. Um, but there's a lot of profound and important thereforce. But the one I, I really want you to take away is that I'm going to take you through a series of teachings, but where it lands is that we are ambassadors. That's what I want us to take away, that you're an ambassador. And an ambassador, I'll say a little more about this, but an ambassador is one who is sent. And you get to live in another country, but you don't live there with your own agenda to do what you want just because I happen to like this country. You are sent by a sovereign from another place to represent him and his interests, and that's what ambassadors are. And this is what we are. If you believe in Jesus and you have been born again um, into new life through Jesus Christ, you are an ambassador. You don't get to live just wherever you want, however you want, and for your own agenda and for your own purpose. But instead, you are an ambassador sent. And God has prepared a way for you to meet other people who are interested in him. And that is what I like to call you are sent for divine appointments. So today we're talking about ambassadors sent with divine appointments. And part one is, well, we're ambassadors controlled by love. That's the way this passage puts it. This is a passage that's describing the role of the ambassador and what the ambassador looks like. And that's why there's so much in it. And I'm going to try to go through this efficiently. But ambassadors who are controlled by love. Part two, divine appointments, which is another way the Bible calls it open doors to faith. So divine appointments and open doors to faith, that is what we're called to serve and then represent our king for in this life and where wherever he has sent us. And part three, there's an invisible Holy Spirit, the invisible Holy Spirit who brings life out of the dead. That's what we get to participate in and be a part of the work of the Holy Spirit bringing life from the dead, okay? Um, let's get right into this passage Um Part one, ambassadors controlled by love. Uh, I I, I don't know how how much you know about this book, 2 Corinthians. Um, There's two letters written to the church of Corinth, and and Corinth is not unlike this city. Um, It was a global city of commerce full of lots of talented people. It was probably an expensive city. It's probably a beautiful city and not unlike this area. And in, this, in the first letter, you get all of the dysfunctionalities of the church. But in the second letter, what is happening is there are people inside the church who have, um, who are saying of the apostles, who are the first pastors who do the genuine gospel ministry, that somehow they're false. They're attacking the credibility of their ministry. And it's, a, it's, it's an odd thing because... What would happen is people would come into town and remember this I mean, there's no Christianity, for the most part, everybody thinks Christianity is they either know nothing about it or, or it's just stupid. And But there are preachers who come to town and what they do is they manipulate people and they use their talents and they, they basically peddle a form of, of, of religion to get stuff out of people. And what's interesting is that some people in the Corinthian church like them. <laughs> And then the uh, the actual real um, ministers of the gospel, the apostles, they start to attack them. (laughs) That's what's happening in this second letter. And this portion is how Paul starts to say how you'll see that we're the real stuff. Okay? Now, I won't go into all this, but I want to take you through some important portions. If you go to verse uh, 13, this is what he says. If we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Uh, if we are in our right mind, it is for you. What the heck is he talking about? Right? I mean, he goes on first to say that um, out of the fear of the Lord, out of awe of the Lord, we try to persuade other people. But I, w- I hope that you look at not just you know, the stuff on the outside, but you will look at what is from the heart. And then he says this really odd thing. If we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. And you know what he's saying there? Um, the reason he says this stuff is because they, they are attacking the apostles, the real genuine ministers of the gospel, and saying, you're crazy. <laughs> you guys do weird and crazy things that we don't get. And you, and you know what kinds of crazy things they do? They do things that stick out and are strange in the culture because, how does he put it? For the love of Christ controls us. That's the next verse. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this. So we do strange acts of love. Right? And you think we're crazy. But actually the reason we act crazy. That's what you think is crazy. Is if we seem nuts. It's actually just because we're doing this for God. And if it seems like we're trying to be in our right minds. We're just trying to love you. But what really compels us. Is the love of Christ. And here's why. Because we have concluded this, i in mean verse 14, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So, okay, let's a mouthful. Let me break this down. You know what he's saying here? Actually, why are we controlled by love? Why are we compelled by love to even seem crazy to you? Because we, because we have concluded this thing, which is essentially, he's just saying the gospel. But notice, he says it in a way that's a little bit odd. Not in a way that we're kind of used to. Usually we're used to hearing something like this. There's this person named Jesus. He's the son of God. He died for our sins and now we're forgiven and then we get to try to live the best that we can. This is what we think, that, this is what it is. We try to live the best that we can and then one day we will die and then we'll go to the good place and that's the way we normally are used to expecting a presentation of the gospel but this is not the way he says it. He says, there's this person who died and you guys all know who that is. He died for all. That's Jesus, okay, if you're unclear, okay. And then he says, but then he says, therefore all have died. What the heck are you talking about? And then he goes, but then some people live. But everybody's died, but some people live. What are you talking about? For Paul, all people who believe in Jesus are united to Christ. And another way of putting the gospel is this. Jesus is God himself to share in all of the plight and the cursedness of human sin without sin. In order to do that, he would become one of us and he would share in all of the condemnation of sin, which is death itself. So that's why Jesus, when he came, he didn't just come to heal the blind or to preach or to teach. He literally had to die. So that if he died, he would become one with us. And then anybody who believed with him could be one with him. First, he would become one with us and dying, which is And God's diagnosis said, all of you, you know what that means? You're all dead. One has died for all. Therefore, all have died. You know what that means? Now we get it. I know some people talk and they spend money and they date and do all this other stuff. But actually, they're just the walking dead. That's what it means. That Jesus came down to unite himself with dead, dying people. And if you see it the right way, they're dead. But some people are alive. Who are the people that are alive? Those are the people who believed in Jesus. And so that when the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, now there's a different kind of humanity. They're alive. And those people who believe in Jesus are united. Jesus united himself to us in his death. And then when we believe in him, we are united to him in his life. So that when he's raised up, there will be some people who will live. And by the way, we're not just talking about the resurrection at the end of history. We're talking now. Because later on, it goes on to say, those who are in Christ are what? A new creation. (laughs) They're a new creation now. (laughs) So there are some people who live, and what is it? How do they live? That those who live, that they would live for him, not for themselves. And what does that look like? That looks like, to be controlled by love. See it? I know it's kind of convoluted, but I'm trying to unpack this. Um, Last week, last week I I shared with you a message about um, from that, that came right out of Luke chapter 15. And you know, there's three parables that Jesus teaches about things that are lost. And the third one is the most famous. It's typically called the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. And in that you have the, you have these two, you know, the younger son you know, He tells his dad, basically, money, you're, I'd rather have the inheritance, you, you die. Give me the money. And then he leaves. And then he comes back. And then there's an older son who looks like he's the good son, but he's actually a bad son because he doesn't get really what his dad wants. And I said, really what we need is there should have been a third son who really cares about what the father cares about. And the father says this thing. He says this thing that, Don't you get it? You should celebrate with me. Because your brother was, how did he put it? Was dead. But now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. You see, it's the same thing. Luke chapter 15, this 2 Corinthians chapter 5, they were dead, but now they're alive. That's what the son cares about. There are dead brothers and sisters, my dead brother, my dead sister, she left the house and they're dead out there someplace. And what does the love of Christ compel him to do? To go out there and seek his dead brother so he could be alive. And what does those people who are alive in Christ do? They're compelled by a love of Christ to seek their dead brothers and sisters so they can one day be alive. In Him, That's what it is. Now let me just say a quick word about this. Um, You know, we have this thing called Christianity. (laughs) And a lot of people think Christianity are the people who go to church. Or they have certain kind of rules. And they look like nice, clean people. But that's not the people who are alive. Okay? There are a lot of dead people in the church. (laughs) Um, the, The people who think that Christianity is just all about... Doing not you know good cleaned up things and, and then and then just waiting till we go to heaven. That's not Christianity. That's some kind of like Pharisaical Christianity. Um, one of the reasons why we're going through this message is, and you'll get to see it. Are you doing this for Christ? Do you live for Him? Do you want to do evangelism for Him, or do you tend to think of evangelism like, oh, evangelism? That's that scary word that only the advanced Christians do, and I'm not an advanced Christian, but I know I'm supposed to do it, and. Okay, I'll, get, I'll, do the Christ, I'll do this evangelism because I'm supposed to do it. If you're doing evangelism because you're supposed to do it and Christians are supposed to do it, then that means you're doing a piece of religion for you. You're doing it for yourself. To, to like, make sure you're a good enough Christian. But you're not really living for him. If you live for him, you would care about the dead brothers and sisters that are out there dead like he cares and that's what we would do to go care for him. That's living for him. The passage goes on. It says, from now on, therefore, this is the therefore. All this stuff i said to you, now there's a therefore. There's an implication to this. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. What does that mean? We don't look at them in just a merely human way anymore. We don't just look at the normal human wisdom and just just consider them that way. We just don't, don't do that anymore. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we do not regard Christ this way any longer. So what does he mean? There was a time in your life when you didn't believe in Jesus... And when you looked at Jesus, you looked at him in the way, in the the biblical languages, according to the flesh. All you knew was human wisdom. You just looked at Jesus and said, he's a nice person. (laughs) He's a good preacher. He's a good moral exemplar. Or he heals people. Or we should just listen to his messages and learn how to be better people. This is the way most people think about Jesus. Son of God. I'm not really quite sure what all that means. But like, you know, Christianity is about being a good person like Jesus, right? That's according to the flesh. We mostly think about him according to the wisdom of being human. And we look at him according to human categories. But he says, but now when we look at Jesus, we realize no, he was the one that made us alive when I was dead. And when we look at other people now, if we're living this way and we're living for him, we don't look at other people this way now. Mostly when we look at other people is if they say, oh, Christianity, that, that's, that's that thing that the, these religious people do because, you know, they, they're weak and they, they, they need a crutch. Oh, that's the people that need to believe that God is some kind of father figure in the sky and then they created this father fable and then you know then then, then Jesus is probably some nice person, right? So that's what we hear people have these reactions and immediately goes, okay, that person's totally closed off. They're not gonna they care they don't care anything about Jesus. If we do this, actually you're looking at them according to the flesh. Constantly we look at people and go, oh nobody would be interested in God, nobody would be interested in Jesus. They're not interested in salvation. And we constantly think they're closed off. And of course, many people are closed off. But when we look at people, do you just only see them in the flesh? Or are you looking at something else that's going on through the lens of the drama of the gospel, of what God is up to in their life? And this is what the passage is getting at. How do you look at people? And then it goes on to say, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, behold the new has come. And by the way, for some people, that process has already started. And you just don't know it yet. They don't believe in Jesus yet. They don't even know it yet. (laughs) They don't even know it yet, but a new creation is starting to well up inside them. And You and I, we just see them according to the flesh. And then therefore, we don't know this is going on, but that's going on. And this new creation thing is starting to, like, it's bubbling up inside them, and it hasn't come out yet. They haven't been baptized. They haven't declared Jesus to be their Savior. They're not going to church yet. They don't have anything friendly. In fact, they may even, outwardly, they're straight up hostile to Christianity. And yet, there are people, if we see them right, not according to the flesh, this is going on. And it goes on to say, um, all this is from God, who through Christ he reconciled himself um, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself. Let me put this a little bit differently. Um, do you know that life is relationship? <laughs> do you know that life is relationship? Um, all the people you know that have bad relationships, they're dying. You can have food, you can have money, you can have a house, you can have status, but if you got bad relationship, you're just dying. And if you have, you have the most broken relationship to the most important person, who is God himself, they're dying and they're dead. <laughs> Life is reconciliation. Rife is a whole relationship to God. And that's why, did you notice, back, back to Luke chapter 15, the son told his dad, you dead. I want the inheritance, the money. For you, you're just money bags. I don't want a relationship with you. Give me the money. I'd rather sleep with prostitutes. That's what the younger son did. How did the father, and in the story, you guys all hopefully know, the father represents God. How did you describe that younger son? Your brother was dead. The relationship is broken. That means he's dead, And so what have all the people who are alive have? They have a ministry of reconciling, in other words, toward life. Which is another way of saying it's evangelism. That's that's another way of saying evangelism. A ministry of reconciliation to help people to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. That's another way of talking about evangelism. Um, Let's jump ahead to verse 20. We have this ministry so let, let, let me, let, let's kind of recap. People who are alive, they were once dead, but now they're alive. They're compelled by love. <laughs> that's how you know they're alive. <laughs> the way you know they're alive is they're compelled by love. If they're, if they are, they're motivated mostly by religiosity and, and just fear for their own good name, that's not compelled by love. That's not living for Christ. That's actually living for ourselves. And they have this. They can begin to look at other people as you could be a new creation. Oh my goodness, you could be a new creation. <laughs> they don't look at them only according to the flesh. You know, there was a time I thought Jesus was just a nice person. <laughs> you think Jesus is a nice person, but it wasn't because I was smart. <laughs> God reconciled me, and now I'm alive. You could be. You could be that way too. Maybe this person is this way. And. I have a ministry of reconciliation and therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. We're ambassadors. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God and live for other people this way, okay? Now this is a, I just unpacked this whole passage to get you to understand you're an ambassador. Compelled by love, living for Jesus. Let's go to part two of my message. And um, can, we get, can we get get on my um, PowerPoint here? Um, ambassadors. Okay, now let's about, before I get into this, what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you a few uh, set of, there's two main teachings I want to give you um, about how an ambassador thinks. And something about, uh, I w- just, but before we can get, let's just unpack this, uh, this metaphor of an ambassador. What is an ambassador? Okay? What is an ambassador? An ambassador is somebody sent by a sovereign ruler or leader of another nation to go live in another country. Do you know that if you believe in Jesus that you live in a foreign country? I mean, obviously, because last I checked, this wasn't the fullness of the new heavens and the new earth. People aren't all bowing down to Jesus here. This is a pretty foreign country in terms of the way Jesus sent us. And if you, an ambassador, lives in a foreign country, their job is not to just say, hey, I like it here. You know, I, I, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure the, the, uh, the ambassador of Egypt didn't come to America to eat In-N-Out burgers and to watch American movies and TV shows, right? It's like, oh, America, the land of the American dream. That's why I'm living in America, right? That's, that's why I wanted to go to America, right? I'm sure the uh, American ambassador didn't get sent to Tokyo and saying, hey, best sushi in the world. That's the that's 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 great thing about this place, best sushi in the world. But you know, we're really strange. Um, um, everyone in the world uh, knows that their that there's selfishness is just kind of rampant among human beings. But I would say we Americans, we're, we're odd because we believe that selfishness is our right. And we even have a name for it. We call it the American dream. The American dream is to live the most selfish life That I want. (laughs) To be honest with you, that's what the American dream is. (laughs) You know, it has nothing to do with God. (laughs) It's all about me. (laughs) And we think it's our right to live selfishly. But not so if you're alive in Jesus. You're actually an ambassador. You belong to him. We live according to his interests. And he has, and according to his plan. So I'm going to go through two, two implications here. Number one, God led you to go live into this place. So I, you, I know some of you are thinking, like, I moved here because I got a job um, li- uh, in, in the technology field, and that's why I moved here. I know that that's why you think you moved here, but if you believe in Jesus, that, that's not why you moved here. Okay? There's like deeper, deeper, ultimate, like eternal purposes. And God had a different plan, which is, no, actually I sent you to San Jose to be an ambassador for me. So yes, I'll, I'll pay the bills and I'll help you contribute to society through your tech job or by being a nurse or by being a teacher or whatever it really, what is it that you do, right? Being a stay-at-home dad, stay-at-home mom, what is it that you do? But actually, for my name's sake, you're an ambassador. And he leads us, he goes with us and he draws other people to his ambassadors. So, let me give you a, a verse here. It's one of the most important verses that uh, in the Bible. And many of you, if you if you've been a Christian for any length of period, you probably heard this verse. And we love these first couple verses, uh, but most of us ignore that third verse. Third, I, should, I should have said verse ten. This is from the English Standard Version. Here's what it says: For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. I hope you all know that. Did you, uh, you know, think? I made myself a Christian. I figured out that, like, you know, Christianity is the right thing, and I, I decided to go to church and be a good person. <laughs> I figured out Jesus is, is, is right, and so, you know, that, that I did this. Does, does anybody, if you're a Christian, does any of you actually think that? <laughs> um, even if you grew up in the church, you probably know that you didn't figure it out. It wasn't from you. But by the way, this is the way it is for everybody. It is for everybody this way. They may hate Jesus today. <laughs> Next year, they love Jesus, <laughs> okay? I, 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 don't, I hope you actually know that because it's not their own doing. <laughs> it is by grace. <laughs> and then it goes on and says, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that one, no, no one may boast. But here's the verse I want you to get that applies to this ambassador issue. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He prepped you to go out there. You know, in in the in the in the Lord, um, in the prodigal son story, we got the son who looks as his dad just as money bags. We got a Pharisaical son who thinks he's a good son because he just kind of does all the good stuff but he only cares about himself and doesn't care about his father's heart that his father's heartbroken for his dead brother. And we said that there should be a third son who would actually go after, who would actually go after that dead brother, and that son is Jesus. The real son of God did exactly that. But you're saying, I don't see Jesus going after people, he is going after people. And you know how he does it? Because we live for him, and he makes us his ambassadors, and he prepares a way beforehand. He prepares beforehand that we should walk in him to go out there and be his ambassadors. So number one, God didn't just send anybody to this foreign country, he sent you. He sent me to this strange place called Silicon Valley to be his ambassador. Hmm. Give me the second second point. Um, I call this uh, divine appointments. Um, but the scripture calls it open doors. Um, do, do you think that the, the ambassador from Egypt is just sitting around in America saying, I can't wait for the next action movie to come out? <laughs> is that what he's doing in America? He's like, I'm going to pursue the, the American dream. He, no, that's not what he's doing. There are people who want, who are interested in the agenda of the leadership of Egypt. The Egyptian prime minister, they want to know what that guy thinks. They want to know him and talk to him. There are people who want to know what the Russian, you know, um, leadership thinks. So, so, who do they go to? They talk to the Russian ambassador. Now, most you and I aren't interested in what the I mean, you know, we, we you know, not any more than listening to the news. But you and I don't want to know what you know um, uh, Vladimir Putin thinks. But the ones who do want to know what Vladimir Putin thinks and his agenda is, they go to the Russian ambassador. But when the person on the other side is the Lord of Lords, King of Kings, guess what? There are lots of people who are interested. And you can't just have one ambassador sitting in New York City or San Francisco. God sends ambassadors all over the place. And you think these people just sit on their rear ends, eating hamburgers and watching American movies? Of course not. What do they do? They take appointments. Appointments of people that God made with. Or, as the scripture puts it, that he opens a door. And they know this. If you're an ambassador, you know this. You know that appointments are going to come. Doors are going to open toward faith. And when that happens, it's time for ambassador time. I, I, I know what I'm doing. At least I think I'll know what I'm doing. Or I don't know what I'm doing, but I know I'm supposed to be an ambassador. Okay. And so how do they think about this? This is the way the scripture puts it. This is from the Bible. This is Acts 14, 27. And when they, this is they as Paul and Barnabas, arrived and and gathered the church, this is the church of Antioch. And by the way, for those of you who don't know, the Antioch church are the people who first set the gospel to the Gentiles. So they came back after doing this. They declared all that God had done with them. And here's the part I want you to see. And how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Who opened this door of faith? Well, Paul and Barnabas were just really, really smart. They figured out the, you know, the, the, the precise location, and they knew that if they had a really snazzy band, <laughs> and, and then if they had like a really good children's ministry, you know, they would attract all the moms, and, and they, you know, Paul and Barnabas opened up the door of faith, right? No. God opened up the door of faith. There are people that God made an appointment with and when Paul and Barnabas showed up, they realized we're just the ambassadors. Here's from Colossians 4, 2 to 5. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, and here we go, and last week's message is all about praying that God would open doors. That God, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, which is another way of saying to declare the gospel. On account of which, I'm actually in prison. I've been doing this, and I got, I got put in prison. So you may have to have some cost, and some not so pleasant things could possibly happen. But this is the most exciting stuff that's going on. And then I hope that, and please pray that I may make it clear that is the gospel clear, which is how I ought to talk. By the way, it's pretty interesting. Do you notice that Paul asked for people to help him make the gospel clear? The most brilliant gospel teacher of all time. But do you notice he, he doesn't talk very well. <laughs> I just gave you a great demonstration from Singer Corinthians 5. He doesn't talk very well. Um, um, and then he says this, walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of our time. See, this is what we do. We're ambassadors. God opens a door and let's pray for that. And then he does. So one more. And notice this, um, last one was in Acts, okay? This is in Colossians. So I'm not cherry picking one little place in the Bible here. This is a totally different kind of book, <laughs> Revelation. And by the way, this is, this is from the mouth of Jesus. This is what Jesus says to various different churches. And in this, in this case, uh, the messenger of, um, and, to the, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One the true one who has the key of David, guess who that is? That's Jesus, okay? Um, the holy one is the key of David. He opens and no one will shut. <laughs> who shuts and no one opens? And then this is what he says to this church of Philadelphia. For those of you, I don't know if you know this, Philadelphia basically means brotherly love. But to this scene you know, we have the city of Philadelphia, it's, it's a, a city of brotherly love. If you watch sports, you should you should see it as a city of uh, of brotherly anger. <laughs> it's like the most angry sports city in the in the country is is a city of brotherly love. But but actually, the Church of Philadelphia is, is is supposed to be a city of brotherly love. And this is what Jesus said to them: I know your works, and behold, I have set before you an open door. <laughs> the King has made appointments. I open this door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and haven't denied my name. San Jose New Hope, I know that you don't have a lot of power. I know it, you know it, we all know it. In this city, there's lots of people hostile to the gospel, to the name of Jesus, and we don't have much power in this city but this is the verse I wanna give you. Jesus is the one who opens and no one can shut it. I mean, there's a scary part of it too, who shuts and no one can open, <laughs> okay? That, that's scary too. Okay, that, that part's actually very terrifying, but I, I, let's, let's, let's just focus on the good part, okay? Let's focus on the cool part, which is, he opens and no one will shut. I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. And would you believe in that? God has appointments for people. Um, There was a sister uh, that I was talking to last week after these messages, and she was saying at her work that people regularly come up to her and tell her how much they hate Christianity. And a number of those people know that she's a Christian. And I sat in there thinking, that's really weird. (laughs) Isn't that weird? That some people actually come up to you at your work and tell you how much they hate Christianity, and some of them know that you're a Christian? And um, if you look at them according to the flesh, you're thinking, oh my goodness, okay, that's that's it. This person will never come to church, never believe in Jesus, they'll never be saved. But let me tell you something, there's a door opening. (laughs) And they can't close it. They can't close it so bad, it has to come out of their mouth. They have to talk about Christianity, which they hate. If... Christianity really was what our secular people actually say it is. It's just a fable. Why would you talk about it? Why would you even bother to hate it? (laughs) There's no point in hating it. It's just, I mean, I don't, you know, I mean, if you meet a homeless person on the street and he thinks he's been abducted by aliens, do I go to work the next day and say, I hate people who who think they're abducted by aliens? (laughs) Do people say that? (laughs) No, because they're just nuts. You're like, pathetic. Sorry that you believe in that fairy tale, but people who have a need to talk about Christianity even though they hate it, you know what's going on? That's an appointment. That's a divine appointment. And a door is open, and they can't even close it. <laughs> they, can't clo- they can't close it. <laughs> and that door is open, and we're giving a chance to be as ambassadors. You can shut that off now. Um, I want to close with you. Um, I want to close with a story. There is an invisible Holy Spirit. And you know what the Holy Spirit does? It's the Spirit that made the power of Jesus to rise from the dead. And it's the Spirit that's doing this for people now. It's the Spirit that's going out there and then like Jesus sends the Spirit to open doors. And then these people want to meet and talk to our sovereign. And how can I know what the sovereign cares about unless I go talk to his ambassador? And so then Jesus goes, you, you my ambassador, go talk to this person. And sometimes it's inconvenient. Sometimes it's strange. It's interruptions. And I want to tell you the story from this wonderful book, um, Rebecca Manley Pippert. Out of the salt shaker and into the world, evangelism as a way of life, okay? I mean, um, and the, Becky Pipper, for those of you who don't know, um, she teaches evangelism to uh, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and, and it's great. The way the book starts is great because she's terrible at it, okay? She's just terrible at it. She does everything wrong, but she learns, which is what this whole series is about. Um, but before, as I get into the story, the reason I want to share with you the story is because this is, this is how an ambassador thinks, this is how someone who has swallowed 2 Corinthians five, and knows that like I don't look at people according to the flesh, I've I know the gospel. I see that there's something going on that there could be a new creation and a door is open and this is it. <laughs> this is the door. This is the uh, uh, this is the appointment, and I get a chance to be an ambassador right here. And so I'm going to tell you the story. And um, um, you know, just before I get to, before I start the story, I just want to let you know it doesn't have a conventional happy ending, okay? And not, I mean, you know, of course you're thinking, oh, Pastor, he's, he's going to tell us the cool story, and this person will get saved at the end. Um, as far as I know, this this, per, this person to get saved, but I want to let you know this is what, because it is, if you're going to go be an ambassador, sometimes it doesn't have a happy ending, because we're representing um, our sovereign king. But listen to the way an ambassador operates, Okay. I was walking through O'Hare Airport in Chicago. Any of you ever been there? Um, You can walk a long ways because the place is huge, okay? That's the main thing I remember about O'Hare. Is thinking, where's my gate? (laughs) Is it really far? Because it feels like it's really far. Okay, so that's O'Hare. My purse slipped and everything tumbled out. As I was stuffing things back inside, a young woman with a baby stopped to ask the time. So you guys see this? She's picking stuff up. So with the baby. What time is it? Then she nervously bit her lip Mm. and asked, you don't know where I could get a drink, do you? I didn't. But as I searched her face, I saw that she was distraught. So I stood up and initiated a conversation. You see her? Someone who's biting her lip, holding a baby, looking for a drink in the middle of the day. What's a baby? She quickly interrupted with, do you know how much a drink would cost here? I could see that we were getting nowhere. She's trying to have a real conversation, but she keeps asking about a drink. So here's what I suddenly found myself saying. Uh, I don't know. But would you like me to go with you to find a bar? This is a Christian ministry worker. (laughs) I'll help you find a bar. Oh, would you? I would really love the company, she said. So off we went, and all the way I was kicking myself for it. Going to a bar at noon with a perfect stranger. (laughs) How unorthodox. Then I started thinking, I wonder what Jesus would do in a situation like this. So let's just think about that for a moment. Do you think Jesus would go with this woman to a bar? Is that what you think? I think he would. Huh. Or would he do the Christian thing? What kind of an alky lady holds a baby in her arm in the middle of the day <laughs> and has to go get a drink? Sorry, lady, I'm going to go over there, to my gate. (laughs) Isn't that, wouldn't that be the normal response? Often we are blind. We act as if those around us were not really people like us. If we see them bleed, we pretend they aren't really hurting. If we see them alone, we tell ourselves that they like it that way. You know what all this is? It's looking at people according to the flesh. Remember what 2 Corinthians 5 says? We do not regard people according to the flesh. The way we regard them, that's just the way you look at them. The way Becky Pippert says this, we regard them according to the flesh, that's being blind. But Jesus wants to heal our sight. He wants us to see that the neighbor next door or the people sitting next to us on a plane or in a classroom are not interruptions to our schedule. They're there by divine appointment. Jesus wants us to see their needs, their loneliness, their longings, and he wants us to give us the courage to reach out to them. If we are to do that, we need to take risks and get beneath the surface of people's lives. So let's get back to 2 Corinthians 5. If you take the risk to break through the surface and look at them not according and according to the flesh, you know what they will think? They'll think you're crazy. (laughs) Just like they thought of Paul, right? You're out of your mind. You're beside yourself, aren't you? Well, if I am out of my mind, it's for God. (laughs) And if I'm in my right mind, it's for you. (laughs) To take initiative opens us up to the risk of rejection. To let people inside our lives is a frightening but essential ingredient to evangelism let's put it this way is an essential ingredient to being an ambassador so i'm at o'hare i wondered i wonder what i should do now that i was in a bar with a nervous woman i had just met i realized that jesus would probably be more concerned about why she needed a drink than the fact that she's just going to a tavern I knew that if I couldn't be at ease around her when she had a drink in her hand and allow God to lead me into what he perceived as a mission field, as an ambassadorship appointment, then I wouldn't be very effective in communicating God's genuine love. Love, remember? was two messages ago. Real love. After we found the bar, it took only minutes before she began sharing that she had decided to leave her husband. Her husband, unaware of her decision, would be meeting her at the airport in Michigan. So you guys see it? Chicago, Illinois, she's gonna land in Michigan, I'm guessing Detroit, and she's gonna drop the bomb on her husband. I'm leaving you. That's a fun airport conversation. She was petrified at facing his response and felt totally alone. Oh, it's such a ridiculous thing, to be telling this to a complete stranger. How boring this must be for you, she said. The saddest part was her obvious inability to believe anyone could care for her. She trusted almost no one. When she mentioned a problem with which I told her I could identify, I could identify with what you just said. She says, "Well, well, that's probably why you act like you're caring, huh? Listen, Aren't you afraid of picking up strangers like me? You really should be more careful. <laughs> so that's what she said. Like that's why you act like you're caring. You you really shouldn't be like you know sitting at a bar with a stranger like me. And then she would go on and tell her continue on with her story. As I began to tell her who God was, and that He was the one who brought me into this situation. See, that's how an ambassador thinks. She seemed to hang on every word. Can you see it? She's telling her, um, I know a God, and the reason I'm sitting here acting like a crazy person <laughs> is because God cares about you. And she, as she was saying this, she said she hung on every word. Can you see? I can see her eyes bulging, holding a baby in her hand, the vodka in the other hand, <laughs> and her eyes are like, what, God? Can you see it? Nervous, switchy lady, probably like her fingernails are all bitten down to the, like nothing. I wanted to reach out to her and tell her how moved I was by her problems and that God cared deeply for her. But she was so cold and defensive that I feared her rejection. Isn't that the way we are? And finally at the gate, I took her hand and said, listen, I want you to know that I really care about you. And I'll be praying for you the minute you get off the plane. She just stared blankly. Then turning away, she said, "Um, I'm sorry. I just don't know how to handle love. And then she walked away. (laughs) I don't know if this lady ever got saved. But you do know this. She knows she was loved. Right? There was a person who loved her, not with her human love, She was controlled. She's compelled by love. She looked at her not according to the flesh. She knew that she could be a new creation. She knew this is an appointment to be an ambassador and that this could be a door opening. Her heart, this door could open, and if this door opens, it can't be shut except by Jesus. And I'd like to think that this lady went back. Maybe she got divorced. And then some other person, another ambassador came into her life, invited her to church, and one day she says, I remember that lady who talked to me at Chicago. I'll go to church. She sits in church, hears the gospel, and a dead woman comes to life. (laughs) That's the ministry of reconciliation. This is what we call evangelism. (laughs) So, brothers and sisters, Be be ambassadors. That's who we are. We can be in denial and and like, we're ambassadors. We have the title ambassador. (laughs) You know what? I pray that some people will show up at your door and you don't even want them in your life. (laughs) And you're like, and they're thinking, aren't you a Christian? You know what they're asking? Aren't you an ambassador? I need to know about Jesus. (laughs) That's your appointment. The door is open. Would you have faith and believe it? And we'll see incredible stuff. The dead will come to life around us right here in San Jose. It's going to happen, okay? (laughs) Even in a church that's not powerful, it's going to happen. Let's pray. Lord, I don't know how evangelism became a scary word or a dirty word, it must be from the devil. And apparently we listen to the devil a lot because we're scared and we don't like doing it. But it's actually this ministry of reconciliation, this ambassadorship, is the most exciting thing going on. It's more interesting than, than the World Series next week. It's way more exciting and interesting than, than the, this ridiculous election that's about to happen. Because people want to know and meet the most sovereign king, which is you, Lord Jesus. So use us. Please open doors for us all around us. Open the door. Give us appointments. And help us to really love people as ambassadors. Pray for them. Love them. And we pray that you would save them. Make them come to life. Pray this in Jesus' name.